Now let us turn to this 12th chapter of Genesis. And as I've been dealing with Abraham, I want to treat this passage in which Abraham told his wife to tell a lie, and she did it. It's rather interesting that the first chapter that deals with Abraham, the 12th chapter of Genesis, has half of that chapter reporting a lie. This great man of faith, this man who is the father of the faithful, the man whom our Savior bore gracious testimony to, he rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. This man whom Paul uses as the exhibit of justification by faith. The first chapter in the Bible that ever talks about him, half of it tells about his lie. Now why? is that here? Well, it's here because this is the Bible and only the Bible reports these things. If the ordinary man were going to write a life of this great man, he'd skip over a little thing like this. At least he'd consider it to be a little thing. But here it is, right at the very beginning. And furthermore, it, it's in a very significant place because Abraham left Haran, came into the land of Canaan, came and built his altar at Bethel. Then a famine came, he goes down into Egypt, he tells his lie, he comes back to the land of Canaan and right back to the altar. And so you have a big lie between two altars. A big lie between two altars. The altar in Canaan that he built and where he called on the name of the Lord and they left it went down into Egypt, told a lie, lived a lie, and because of that lie, he was driven out of Egypt, and then he comes back to the altar again, same altar. Now this is Abraham. Why did Abraham tell this lie? It wasn't necessary. We have just finished reading in this 12th chapter where God told Abraham that he would be with him, that he would bless him, that he would make him a great nation. Then why did Abraham need to lie? Well, he didn't need to lie. In fact, nobody needs to lie. But Abraham lied just the same. Why didn't Abraham say that the God who's promised to make me a great nation can take care of Sarah and my wife and Lot down in Egypt. Well, beloved, I'll tell you the reason Abraham did this, and that is that he was weak, like a lot of the rest of God's people. He was weak. Furthermore, Abraham had a weak moment when he permitted these things that are in the hearts of men to come up and to influence 
his decision and his attitude. And when I delve into the heart of Abraham tonight, I want to tell you that I'm delving into your heart, I'm delving into my heart, I'm delving into the heart of every man. Now, Abraham is told to go down to Egypt. The famine has come. He said, all right, I'm going to go. And he began to think about his welfare down there. And he began to be a little bit concerned. And he thought, when I get down into Egypt there, I've heard all these stories about these Egyptians, and they're going to see this wife of mine, and they're going to like her. And they would very easily just get rid of me so they could have my wife and possess her. She's a beautiful woman. And so Abraham decided that the way that he could protect himself would to get his wife to tell a lie. Now he says, when we get down there, they're going to see you, and you tell them that you are my sister. And don't suggest that you're my wife, and let's conduct ourselves in such a way that they won't think that we're man and wife. Now, why did Abraham do that? What in the world possessed him that made him do it? Beloved, I have no explanation. I have no justification. All I can say is that Abraham still had some sin in his heart. And the heart of man is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. And who can know? All in the world Abraham needed to have done when that thought came to him, it came into his mind, the devil put it in there. The devil's the author of a lie. God's never the author of a lie. When anybody goes to lying, he's being guided by Satan. He's being guided by the devil. He's the author of the lie. And when that idea came into the mind of Abraham, all he needed to have done was to have dismissed it. Just dismissed it. And said, well, the Lord has promised and I'm his child and I've left the land where my fathers were and I've come out here to this land of Canaan and this God will take care of me and we won't need to worry. He'll take care of my wife and he'll take care of Lot and we'll go down there trusting the Lord. But beloved, when Abraham lied, Abraham ceased to trust the Lord. That's what a lie is. A lie is a declaration that it's necessary for you to change your circumstances from that in which God has placed you and from the circumstances in which God is able to deliver you. And Abraham said to himself, I'm going to have to look out for myself and so I'll say to my wife, tell them you're my sister. Do you know what Abraham did when he got down to Egypt? He just lived a lie. He had to live it. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. We tell one lie, then we have to live it. 
Then we have to tell another one to cover up that one. Then we have to tell two more to tell up the next, cover up the next one. And then we have to get four more on top of that to cover up the next. And the first thing you know, you built up a tremendous kingdom of falsehoods. And that's exactly what happened in Egypt. So Abraham went down with his wife. And she was a beautiful woman. And Abraham knew enough about the wickedness in the hearts of men that when they saw a beautiful woman, there would be some wicked man that would covet her and desire her. And he knew enough about the wicked devices of men that many a man has been murdered over a woman. And he had no hesitancy in saying that he himself could very easily be eliminated so that someone would be able to take his wife. And in order to protect his life, his own selfish well-being, he concocted a lie and had his wife say that she was his sister. And so they went. Wherever they went, you can see Abraham saying, I want you to meet my sister. I wonder how many times he told that lie. I wonder how many times that lie was told. Sarah, he told her to tell everybody that he, she was his sister, and here she goes about, she says, we've come from up here. Here's my brother, I'd like to have you meet him. How many times did she tell that lie? You know, once you tell a lie, you have to stick by it, unless you're going to confess it. Not until you are ready to confess a lie and to confess the falsehood that is involved are you going to open yourself to abuse. No one wants to admit he's a liar. He likes to cover it up. A liar of all people doesn't want to be called a liar. And Abraham went down into Egypt with his wife. I know why that passage is here. It turned out to be the entire trip to Egypt. From the time he went into the country until the time that Pharaoh threw him out of the country, his whole sojourn in Egypt was one great big lie. That's why it's here. That's why it's in Genesis. Everything that Abraham did in Egypt had a lie hanging over it. And Abraham, in his lie, had judged the hearts of men correctly. He had done so. He was perfectly right when he said that men would see his wife. He had judged the hearts of men according to his knowledge and experience. And so when they got down there, the people saw this wife, Sarah, and the princes in the house of Pharaoh saw her, and they said, there's no woman that we've seen anywhere that compares to her beauty. We will take her over to the house of Pharaoh. And Sarah was brought into the house and the kingdom of Pharaoh because of her beauty. I wonder, wouldn't you have liked to have been around and seen Pharaoh come and take a look at this woman? 
have the woman bow. Yes, this is, uh, this is Sarah. We're from uh, Canaan. My brother's out here, Abraham. And uh, we've come down here because of the famine. And so Pharaoh's princes and Pharaoh looked at her. How she must have displayed herself. And we read here that Pharaoh treated Abraham favorably because of his sister. And Pharaoh enabled Abraham to have some sheep and some oxen. And Abraham was well taken care of. And it looked as though the lie was working. It looked as though Abraham, instead of being killed because of his wife, was being taken care of because of his sister. And it looked as though the lie had some advantage to it. That the lie was doing the very thing that Abraham thought it would do. And beloved, I can tell you right now that when you lie, you may find that your lie will do the very thing that you thought it would do. Many a man has thought he was justified in his lie. He's seen it work. He's seen it protect him. He's seen it get him advantage. And man looks at his little circumstances and says, Well, I'll tell a lie and get out of this situation. I'll tell a lie and that'll improve my lot. And men think that lies are for their advantage and consequently they use them and multiply them. Nobody likes to lie more than a liar. And Abraham found out that his lie was successful in Egypt. <coughs> oh, beloved. There comes an end. All liars shall have their part. There comes a day of reckoning for these lies, and if it doesn't come here, it will come in the next world. But there is a God in heaven which says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And a lying tongue is but for a moment. And though Abraham felt that his lie had been successful, there came a moment, and isn't it interesting in this Genesis account, we're not told just how Pharaoh found it out. We're not told. Look at this account. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done to me? How did Pharaoh find out that Abraham's wife had died? We're not, had lied to him. We're not told. But we do know that God Almighty plagued Pharaoh because of that lie. Now Abraham thought he was getting some advantage out of that lie. His wife was being taken care of. He was being prospered. And it looked as though from Pharaoh's standpoint that the lie was getting along all right. But, beloved, from God's standpoint, it was not, and it never will. And God plagued the house of Pharaoh, and we read here, with great plague. God judged, God dealt. 
with plagues of such a nature that Pharaoh turned and said, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the heavens. There's something wrong with my household. There's something wrong. Pharaoh said it. Now how did Pharaoh find out that Abraham and Sarah had lied to him? They're not told. They're not told. You know why I think we're not told? I think we're not told because the old Pharaoh himself was keen enough and sharp enough and wise enough to detect in the conduct of this girl, Sarah, there was something about the situation that made him have his suspicions. Beloved, it's awfully hard to cover up lies for a long time. It's awfully hard to live this kind of a life. And there must have been, there must have been something that happened. You can read these different accounts of Scripture. Abraham came to visit his sister, you know. And uh, they were together. There must have been something in the circumstance itself which made Pharaoh judge and made Pharaoh come to the conclusion that uh, there was a lie that was being lived. Notice that question. Why hast thou done this to me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? Pharaoh judged it perfectly. You know, beloved, oftentimes the ungodly, the unregenerate, oftentimes, they're keener than these things than the Christians think that they are. And furthermore, when you come into Pharaoh's house, and beloved, when you get into these high realms of authority and matters of government, this matter of the truth, this matter of justice, this matter of right, these things are there, and they're prized, at least they're supposed to be. You're not supposed to tell the king a lie. You're not supposed to mislead a Pharaoh. And this was a very, very serious offense in Pharaoh's household. The king of Egypt, the lord of all the provinces of Egypt, here he was being lied to. And now he detects it and he calls and said, Why hast thou done this thing to me? Look at the plagues that have come upon me. I know that the lie is wrong. And I recognize that there are judgments against this sort of thing. And I'm suffering because of it. And beloved, when you tell a lie, you not only injure yourself, but you injure those who are the victims of the lie. Oh, a lie is a nasty thing. A lie is a filthy thing. A lie is a desperate thing. A lie is an abomination. All liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. With all 
are whoremongers and liars and murderers. My, where God puts a lie. He puts it in the pit. That's where he puts it. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And when you have the Lord and you love the God, you know he will bless the truth and you know that he will never bless a lie. And beloved, please, please don't try to lie out of anything. Tell the truth and let God deliver you. Let God bless you. Let God take care of you. Abraham went into Egypt and he was called into Pharaoh's presence and says, Why hast thou done this thing to me? Oh, Pharaoh said, I've been plagued, but Pharaoh says, that's not all. He says, I might have gone ahead and had your sister. And had I done that, I would have been guilty of adultery. That's what Pharaoh said. I might have Turk taken her to be my wife. I might have done it. That indicates that maybe Pharaoh was even thinking about such a thought. Oh, beloved, how Pharaoh was moving. And these ungodly pagan leaders throughout the nations in the providences of God God uses, God speaks to them, God deals with them. And he said, I might have taken her to be my wife. Now therefore, behold, I want I don't want her, you liar. I don't want her. She's yours. I frankly think that Pharaoh was mighty mild. Trying to think he was very, very tender in dealing with Abram at this point. He says, he's your wife, take her, get her out of this house. But furthermore, you get out of this country. You get out of this land. You get out. We don't want liars in Egypt, and we don't want men who come into Egypt like you did. Talk about shame. Talk about disgrace. Talk about humiliation. Abraham had it. And he had it in Egypt. My, it's an awful thing to get caught in a lie. Abraham was caught. To get caught in one. And not only was he caught in it, but the king proceeded to tell him that he wanted neither his wife nor himself to be around them anymore. You don't like to live with liars. Oh, my friend, you don't like to have men around you that lie. The minute you find somebody's lying to you, you, you can't trust them. The minute you find somebody tells one lie to you, and you know he's done it, you watch him for the next one. And, beloved, there's only one thing that a liar can revel in. that is that he's trying to stay out of being punished. Tells this lie and he moves here and moves here and moves here and moves here. I imagine, just imagine what must have happened when Abraham saw Sarah. 
He said to say, Sarah, uh, are they believing your story over there at the palace? <laughs> well, yes, she says, I think they're all believing it. She says, uh, has anybody uh, made any approaches to you in any way? She says, well, she says, I've had several look at me and the things have been said. Uh, how about Pharaoh? Well, I, I think Pharaoh's taking an interest in me. I really do, she said. You can just imagine the conversation that must have went on. Abraham said to his wife, he said, well, I don't know whether we should have told this lie or not. This thing could get more complicated. This thing could get more involved. And do you know, beloved, that that man Abraham, the deeper and the more involved his wife became in Pharaoh's court and everything else, the more concerned and the more restless that he became? Beloved, it's a dangerous thing to try to flee from a lie and to try to get out from under a lie and then to see the complications of that lie being amplified and enlarged and the aggravations increased. How can I protect myself? Be sure your sins will find you out. That's what the proverb says. And Abraham's sin found him out. And it found him out in the court of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh himself said, Why hast thou treated me thus? My friend, beloved, you are no friend to me when you tell me a lie. You are no friend to anybody when you tell a lie. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. You know why we've got the liars today? You know why we've got the crime today? You know we want all these murders today? No fear of God. No fear of judgment. No fear of a day of reckoning. No fear that evil itself is going to be judged and dealt with by the Almighty God. And beloved, unless lies are brought to the cross and to the fountain and cleansed in that place, that lie will accompany you into the grave and that lie will stand before you in the day of judgment before the Almighty God. Every lie you tell accumulates judgment against the day of the judgment of ungodly men. There's a reason this story's here in the first account of Abraham. A Christian like Abraham, a believer like Abraham, instead of trusting God, began to trust himself and he told a lie to protect himself so he'd stay alive, at least he thought. And then he lived it. And he suffered the anguish of it. And Pharaoh said, take your woman. I don't want her around. I'm disgusted. She's been around here living a lie in my palace. Get this girl out of here. And furthermore, you take what you have and you get out of this country just as fast as you possibly can. Now, beloved, you want me to enlarge on that just a little bit for you? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something. This is a good old-fashioned kind of <laughs> kind of fundamentalism. But you know the people who lived on this book, whenever a boy came around the house to court a girl, 
And if the old man caught the boy in a lie, what did he tell him to do? He says, get out of here and don't you ever come back to this place again. I don't want you around my God. That's right. And all the stories that have gone down through the history of, of God's people, especially out in the country and on the farms, and when some boy gets interested in the girl, the old man gets the shotgun and goes after him. That's right. That's exactly right. And then especially when you get into this area where you're protecting the integrity and the purity and the chastity of some girl. Believe me, let anybody get into that area and the old man, the brother, the son, all the rest of them get the flock of guns together and they go out. And they used to lynch people. That's what they used to do with them. Oh, beloved, we were peoples and we had families and men had daughters and men had boys and nobody Nobody dared get involved in these things because our fathers believed that God wouldn't bless a lie. God will never bless deceit. He will never bless iniquity. He will never bless that which in any way tampers or seeks to evade or transgresses the law of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what I'm preaching a message tonight on sin. That's what you call it. And it's the sin of Abraham, but Abraham hard was wicked. And the wickedness came out and he lived his wickedness until the judgment caught up with him and he was exposed by Pharaoh and told to get out of Egypt. Oh, I could stop here and preach a whole sermon on integration. There's some people you just don't want to live with. There's some people you don't want to even have around you. There's not a thing wrong with picking your associates. A man is known by the company he keeps. And everything about us today is to blur and to blot out and to destroy these moral distinctives which are so essential for character and for decency among people. Pharaoh said, I don't want liars like you in my country. Go back where you came from. My, oh my. Did you ever hear about anybody being run out of town? Nobody does that anymore. You can't even run them out of Philadelphia. We're the ones that are being run out. That's the truth. Well, I was a boy out there in Oklahoma when I was growing up. Every once in a while I heard somebody was run out of town. Who ran him out? Well, they ran him out of town. Abraham was run out of Egypt. He was run out of Egypt. Oh, that dear mother that says to her daughter, Mary, you better leave that boy alone. Better be careful. Oh, that father says to her, to his son, Son, uh, don't you think you better go a little slow? It's pretty fast work you're making. You don't know enough about him yet. Better find out a little bit more. Let's not go so fast. These are the things that are in the minds, and they relate to what you have here in this passage in Genesis, in Abraham. 
But now, beloved, I can't close here. If I stopped here, it would be a dead sermon and a, it'd be a terrible sermon. What happened to Abraham when he, got drove, he was driven out of Egypt? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? He went back to his altar. He went right back to his altar. And there he worshiped the Lord. Verse 4. Under the place of the altar which he'd made, there at the first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. You know what Abraham did when he got back to that altar? He did exactly what you and I do right now when we're coming to this communion service. He says, Lord, forgive me. I'll never do it again. Forgive me, Lord. I was here and you promised all these things. And I've had the bitterest experience any man could ever have. I've been thrown out of Egypt. And I'm supposed to be thy servant. And I told my wife to lie, and she lied for me. And she got mixed up over there in Pharaoh's court, and Pharaoh found it out. Lord, you exposed it. You uncovered it, Lord. I'm so thankful you did. Now, Lord, forgive me. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. And Abraham went back to Bethel and called on God's name. And Abraham said, Oh, Lord, I went into Egypt because of the famine. I made an awful mistake. Please, Lord, pardon my sins. And Abraham was restored. Abraham found forgiveness. Abraham found it. You know, one of the things that concerns you about the stories like this, you know why this story's in the Bible here? The Bible just doesn't tell filthy stories. The Bible just doesn't tell stories of lies. They're not there just for that sake. They're there to see God's judgment upon them and to see God's deliverance from them. That's what they're there for. They're there in order that God's people may realize that a lie will never pay and that there's a place where it can be pardoned and where restoration and fellowship can be found. The altar of the Lord. That's why the stories are there. You know, maybe I shouldn't say this because sometimes you're misunderstood. But I don't think that a man who's lived a wicked life ought to get up and always go around parading the fact that I did all these terrible things. I think that when they're forgotten by God, they ought to be forgotten by us. And we ought to be telling them and telling them and repeating them and repeating them and repeating them, as some people do. Look what a wicked man I was. Well, everybody knows you're wicked. God knows it. Get up and thank God that you're redeemed and don't talk about your old sins. Go ahead and serve the Lord and rejoice in the newness and the freshness that God has given you. And yet there is a place, there are times when things like that can be told. And it's proper to do so. For instance, an evangelist can come to town. I remember how Springer used to, do you remember the night Springer told how he's going to tell his life story and how he got saved? He had the tabernacle fill. Springer went ahead and told about how he broke up with his wife and how he used to drink and all these other things. He told those stories. 
But then he told how he came home and how he was delivered and how God saved him. And that testimony with the judgment and with the deliverance was used of God. And that's what you've got here in this account with Abraham. Abraham sinned. Abraham suffered. Abraham had to be, go, be put out of Egypt. But Abraham went back to the altar of God. He went to Bethel. And at Bethel, he called on the name of his God. And he found deliverance and forgiveness under the precious blood of pardon. Now, beloved, when I preach a sermon like this, it makes every last one of us sinners because there isn't a single one of us here that hasn't lied in our hearts and in our thoughts at some time or other. But the remedy of it is the altar. The remedy of it is the blood of the cross. The remedy for it is that Christ made the atonement for us. And we can accept it. And then we can arise in newness and freshness. And we can say, now, Lord, give me grace not to do it again. Give me strength not to yield to these temptations. Guard my little tongue. Be careful with what comes out. And let me believe, O oh Lord, that you can take care of me just as I have. I guess there are more people lie about their ages than anything. We got more living liars when it comes to the jobs they're working in than you can imagine. Philadelphia's full of them. They find out the age limits or the age scale and they dress themselves up and go in, declare themselves 10 years younger. Sometimes they get by with it, sometimes they don't. But an awful lot of people have got lies on their social security records. And they told the lie somewhere along the road and they've got to live it. They've got to live it the rest of their life or get out from under it some way. But beloved, don't you tell a lie about yourself, where you are, how you are, or what the providences of God are. And beloved, God will bless you and he will deliver you in your integrity. But he will not deliver you when you depend upon him to protect you in a lie. Because he won't do it. All liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Oh, how love I thy law. Oh, how love I the truth. Oh, how I know that God Almighty will bless and protect the truth in his people. Now that's in that 12th chapter of Genesis. Abraham turned out to be a pretty big sinner. The Lord had saved him. But you don't find that he told another one. You don't find that he told another one. As a matter of fact, when he went to the altar, after the altar experience, here was Lot and here was Abraham. They had a lot of flocks. The herdsmen got to fighting each other. Things was mixed up, so Abraham called Lot and says, Now, Lot, he said, our, our men are fighting, and our sheep and our flocks are big. 
we're just too big a company to go like we are. And he says, now, now, tell you what I'll do. He says, look around. He says, here's the high country and here's the low country. There's the Jordan Valley. It's beautiful and green. There's the rocky brimstone hills about us. But now, I'll give you your choice. You want to take the hilly country? That's all right with me. I'll go down there. If you want to take the green country, that's all right with me. You go down there. Did you ever see such a generous fellow? If I'd have been Abraham, I'd have said, Lot, we're having trouble. Our herdsmen are all mixed up. Let's go out here and draw straws. The long straw will be the hills, and the short straw will be the valley, and whoever gets the valley gets the short straw, and we'll just draw straws on it. We'll be fair. No, no, Abraham didn't say that. He didn't say it. I tell you, after Abraham got out of Egypt and he knew what he'd done, how he'd lied, oh, how his heart turned. He says, Lord, he says, I've got to manifest some grace myself. I lied to Pharaoh. I lied to Sarah. I lived a lie. Lord, let me manifest some grace now. And here's Lot, and here's his flocks, and here are herdsmen, and they're fighting each other. Lord, let me have some grace. Abraham says, all right, Lot, you take the choice. Take what you want. You pick what you want. I'll take what's left. I give you first choice. My. Did you ever see two kids fight over a seat in the bus? One of them wants by the window and the other doesn't. Did you ever see them have a fight over who's going to sit by the window? Imagine that. What difference does it make whether you sit by the window or not? I can imagine having a fight over who's going to sit by Johnny, especially when Mary and Ruth want to get next to him. A little squabble on that subject. But listen, you just fight over these things. Abraham says, no, Lot, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to argue with you at all. We're, we're too big now, and our herdsmen are troubled. And You take your shepherds, and I'll take my shepherds, and you decide where you want to go. Beloved, I want to tell you that when you are pardoned for sin and you know that you've gone back to Bethel and to the altar of God and God has given you grace and pardon and forgiveness, you have a broader attitude and a much more gracious attitude. And what difference does it make? Abraham says, I'm God's son now. He'll take care of me on the hillside or he'll take care of me in the valley. And if life wants the valley, let him my what a change took place in Abraham oh beloved you and I fight over the littlest things we ought not to worry about them we ought to be like Abraham after we've had our sins forgiven we ought to be that way well I must stop but beloved you see what's in a passage like this how real it is how human it is how full of grace it is. Now that's all for tonight. I'm going to go ahead with Abraham. I'll get into the lot and what happened to him when he took the valley and how he was carried off captive. And then poor old Abraham went and got him out. He got him out of his trouble. He bailed him out. My, what Abraham didn't do. I'll preach on these things. But Abraham was a sinner saved by grace. Abraham was a liar who had his life covered by the blood of Christ, and he went to the altar and called on the name of the Lord. 
And, beloved, on the Lord's Day, on Sunday morning, we're coming here to the altar of God. We're coming here to the sacrifice that God has made for us. And we're going to call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to ask God to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that our hearts may be gracious as Abraham's was. My father Abraham. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, we thank thee for this message. And we thank thee that we can take the passage that thou didst put there just for this purpose tonight. And oh God, we thank thee that we can see Abraham growing and developing in grace and in the knowledge of judgments. Father, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of everything everything that displeases thee in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. May we be more like Jesus. Amen. 232.